Hello, everyone. I want to talk about. I'm almost done talking about sex workers since the episode. Here we go. Vice.com. Sex workers explain why the Safe Tech Act will break the internet. Congress is once again threatening the livelihoods and safety of sex workers with its latest attempt to reform Section 230 by Lauren Crosby Metlicott. April 16, 2021, 9 a.m. Sex work is work. My body is my business slash decrammy. Decrammy, the hashtag, that means they are for the full decriminalization of sex work, adult sex work. In 2018, Congress passed the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, FOSTA, a law ostensibly designed to curb human trafficking by holding websites and online platforms responsible for user content that might facilitate sexual exploitation. More than two years later, it's still unclear whether the law has actually achieved those goals, but among sex workers, the consequences were felt immediately. Sites like Backpage and Craigslist Personal shut down, eliminating sources of income for thousands of precariously employed workers. According to a 2020 survey of 98 internet-based sex workers, 99% of respondents said the law didn't make them feel safe, and 72% said it decreased their ability to make ends meet. Now, another round of anti-trafficking legislation is making its way through Congress to safeguarding against fraud, exploitation, threats, extremism, and Consumer Harms Act or Safe Tech Act. Like FOSTA, the bill is attempting to reform Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, CDA, the law passed in 1996 to protect free speech online by offering legal protection for online platforms and websites. And like before, sex workers are fearful of the consequences. Supporters of the Safe Tech Act want to further limit the scope of Section 230, making companies responsible for policing user speech on online platforms. What I don't want is to have these giant providers continue to use Section 230 as this immunity, a kind of get out of jail free card. Senator Mark Warner, the bill sponsor, said in an interview with Protocol. But sex workers and free speech advocates warned that eliminating these liability protections means greater censorship of online platforms as companies try to reduce the risk of landing in legal trouble as a result of third party user content. The Safe Tech Act would mean I can't afford to run my own website and lose income from any other site. It will impact any social media platforms I use for marketing. Mary Moody, who has been a sex worker for the last five years, told Motherboard. She also fears that she could easily be sued for her content on websites, have to attend court, and pay for an attorney. Moody's fears are echoed by most of the sex work community, as well as digital rights advocates, who warn of broader free speech consequences if the bill were to pass. Section 230 underpins much of the internet, offering legal protections for companies, news organizations, creators of all stripes, political activists, nonprofits, libraries, educators, governments, and regular users. Jason Kelly, a digital strategist at the, at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF, told Motherboard. Without it, any online service that did continue to exist would more than likely opt for censoring more user-generated content and that would inevitably harm marginalized groups more than others. Sex workers would be one of those marginalized groups affected by safe tech, and many fear that their work and safety will be compromised if the bill passes. I've been dreading the inevitable Section 230 reform, 
Blair Hopkins, deputy director of SWAT Behind Bars, told Motherboard, Section 230 protects sex workers in a kind of ancillary way because it allows them to conduct their business on platforms without interruption from the platforms. Safe tech, while not directly aimed at sex workers, has a downstream effect of unintended consequences. She added that the bill would force smaller companies with less resources to over-police user content in order to avoid legal liability. They will just massively moderate everything so they don't get into trouble. With that extreme moderation, it means protection sex workers will be further pushed off the internet. Mayor Maria Grant of the Sex Workers Project of the Urban Justice Center told Motherboard their concerns regarding safe tech. Sex workers rely on the internet to share bad date lists, build community, learn about harm reduction practices, screen clients, and build client networks. That, these, what Maria is saying is awesome. Here's the bad part, more bad parts actually. Without the internet, many sex workers cannot survive financially, much like workers in other industries that are increasingly based online. The lack of access to the internet is more likely to push sex workers to street-based work. This opens up sex workers to increased dangers, including limiting opportunities to screen clients successfully, as well as increased police interactions and possible harassment and arrest. Those are awful. The impact of FOSTA was a disaster. Rachel West and Alex Immaculate from the U.S. Cross Collective told Motherboard in an email statement. In the worst cases, FOSTA has aided in pushing sex workers into more dangerous working conditions. We face more harm, violence, and even death. Increased poverty, especially since the pandemic, and especially among women, and low wages and many other jobs traditionally done by women means that people don't have the option to leave sex work. So we are forced to take clients we would pre previously refuse and take risks to earn enough to live on. <sighs> because of what I just learned, I am against FOSTA. I am against fight online sex trafficking act because of the unnecessary damage to the sex worker, sex work community. While FOSTA was touted as a way to curb human trafficking by creating liability for platforms that facilitate trafficking, it simply didn't work. In fact, the increased vulnerabilities of sex workers resulted from FOSTA combined with the new difficulties police had trafficking traffickers actually meant that FOSTA increased cases of human trafficking. And since its introduction, FOSTA has only been used once to charge a website promoting trafficking. That's abysmal to me. It's important to remember that we have all sorts of businesses and industries that have trafficking, and we don't strive to hold them accountable in the same way as we did in the sex trade. Chris asked, Chris, Chris Ash, Chris Ash, A-S-H, an anti-violence advocate and trafficking survivor said, nobody is doing a mass campaign to shut down grocery stores, even though they may be selling cabbage that was produced in labor trafficking. Chris is brilliant. They continue by saying that we don't always have to rescue victims of human trafficking and sex trade through raids, R-A-I-D-S, and online moderation, but instead give them options, choices, and self-determination so that they feel empowered and safe to leave. Chris is super brilliant. 
But while some large mainstream anti-trafficking movements identified sex work as the root of trafficking and promoted FOST legislation, they are wrong in capital letters. They are a, there are a growing number of anti-trafficking organizations who identify the root causes of trafficking as the lack of decent work opportunities or social protections and restrictive migration policies. Borislav Gerasimov, a program coordinator for the Global Alliance Against Trafficking Women, told Motherboard. Borislav is wise. He's a wise. I'm sorry, I don't know. Who, I don't know the person's gender pronouns. I'll just say that Borislav is a wise person. Wise person. In the analysis, people become victims of trafficking because they can't find a job in the formal in the formal economy. For example, if they are an undocumented migrant or a former felon, or there are simply no jobs or a job that pays living wage, and they can't afford to pay their rent or healthcare costs or children's education, and so on. Wise human being. In other words, trafficking, whether it's in sex, agriculture, construction, domestic work, and hospitality industries, is the result of deeply rooted systems that disempowers women, minorities, and migrants. And policing online content, as FOSTA did, will not change that. I want to show a sensitivity here. When, I'm sent, when, when minorities is talked about, I'm not saying that to belittle anyone that's not a white person. What I'm talking about, in this case, as the writer wrote, it's a historical word being used to refer to people who are not white. But I don't look at anybody that's not white as inferior. Um, I hate I hate supremacy of all kinds. I hate it. I hate superiority of all kinds. I hate that. It's like I'm learning this new sensitivity. Um, and it's sometimes hard to um, speak because some of the articles that I know I should be reading to you may use that language. And I know that some people don't mind being called of color and some do. Like I have a friend who is sensitive to that. So I always mention sensitivities when it comes to certain words so people understand the kind of heart that I have. I, I feel like I need to have that my moral obligatory responsibility. Even and policing online content as FOSTA did will not change that. Even so, Section 230 is nearly 30 years old and has been outpaced by the technology it's meant to legislate. There are problems with the state of the internet and the dominance of a handful of online platforms, said Kelly, the, F -E the EFF strategist. Instead of safe tech, Congress could pass a strong consumer data privacy law and update antitrust laws to address online services and surveillance-based business models and their anti-competitive behavior. I agree, Congress should be doing those things. Maria Grant, Director of Research Organizing Advocacy at the Sex Workers Project of the Urban Justice Center, said that in updating internet laws, we cannot ignore the vulnerabilities of those that will bear the brunt of that legislation, including sex workers. She's correct. Legislations like this safe tech is not about protecting people online, 
because it sacrifices one group of people for another, Grant told my board. It is not equitable or inclusive in the ways it would protect people. It does not take into consideration the human rights of sex workers. He's correct. I want to say the obvious. I am for the human rights of sex workers. Sex workers are entitled to equal rights. Yes. To protect victims of human trafficking, discrimination, and harassment in the sex trade, supporters of bills like the Safe Sex Workers Study Act say sex workers must be heard and included in any legislation that would affect them, especially when their work and their livelihood depends on it. We need to be extremely careful and thoughtful about these reforms and their consequences, said Kelly. I agree with Kelly. Kelly's right. Kelly is absolutely right. Maria and everybody, you know, I, I really agree most with Maria and Kelly. So now I'm going to read a sensitive story here. Growing up with a sex worker mom, he says mom, M-E-M, but it's okay. Things weren't perfect, but I never once doubted that she loved me by Daisy Schofield, May 24, 1021, 4.15 a.m. Jacob was around five years old and he stumbled across explicit photographs of his mother in a porn magazine. There were some copies under her bed, he explains. I kept asking her what it was and she eventually explained that she took those photographs for money. As Jacob recalls it, this information didn't bother him at the time, but living in a small town meant that word about his mother's profession spread, and he remembers being teased as he was growing up, particularly when he got to high school. I could hear kids saying, Jacob's mom is a porn star, he says. When I first began keeping speaking of girls, I was rejected by one who called my mother a slut. These, everything I'm reading is just wrong. First of all, kids should never be exposed to adult content of all kinds. And you have to be age appropriate with everything you say and how you say it. And people should not be making fun of kids for the adult industry lifestyles that parents live and you should not be rejecting somebody because of what their parents chose to do get to know people for who they are and we should be teaching kids don't make fun of people who are different in how they live and how they think and parents should not be instilling bigotry in their children too. I'm talking about the kind of parents who will think it's okay to ridicule and discredit somebody because of their sex work history. That's what I mean. Despite Jacob, who asked for his last name to be withheld for privacy reasons being made to feel different, having a sex worker parent is hardly a rare phenomenon. According to the English Collective of Prostitutes, most sex workers are mothers who enter prostitution to support their families, with more women entering into the profession amid the poverty inflicted by COVID-19. Despite there being tens of thousands of them in the UK alone, 
The idea of sex worker parents is still considered taboo, even in moral and social and cultural realms. Here's what I want to say. People should be treated as human beings, seen as human beings, whether in the sex work industry or not. And we have to question society. Why, is, why are inequities popular by greedy motherfuckers? Why is the concept of inequality exciting to heartless shitbags? I feel personally there's nothing wrong with having a sex working parent. There's everything wrong with society shitting on the kids and shitting on the mothers, shitting on the dads, shitting on people who are in that in the sex industry world. And I can understand how some kids may feel uncomfortable or, or they may be comfortable with it and some feel uncomfortable, some are you know, some people, I could understand why, you know, the stigmas and you don't, as a kid, you, you tend not to, and even if you're an adult kid, you tend not to want to know your parents' personal business. Um, but I would say that we have to get to know people sincerely with a pure heart. And get to know people's situations. Before you prejudge, pause and ask yourself, if I judge somebody for that, would I want to be judged for that too? Because we don't know what people's situations are in. So we have to really uphold women in our world. We have to uphold families. The best way to do it is include sex working families within that. So no mother should ever struggle to feed her kids. No, no dad, no parent should ever struggle to feed their kids. They should always, there should always be food on the table. There should be lights on. There should be running healthy, non-tap, non-lit water. It should, people should be able to come in and out of the house safety and everybody in the house is positive persons. No, no um, shysty, shady people calling and texting and everything. So people have to be able to have the right to house, the right, the right to housing, the right to health, the right to shelter, the right to food. You know, there should always be steady, healthy income coming. That way, if, if you want to enter prostitution, that's one thing. If you do that, and that's something you want to do, whether your family take care of or not, that's one thing. But if you have to do it because this is not only I can survive, I question society on that. I'm like, that's, that's, that's just despicable to me that we 
cause people to have to do things, not because that's something they would. It's oh, oh my god, I'm so emotional. Let me slow down. So what I'm saying in society, people, a lot of people are doing things they wouldn't normally do just to breathe, have their family breathe, and that's what's despicable to me. I'm I'm judging society harshly on that. It has in the past been argued that the children of sex workers are more vulnerable to psychological issues and parental abandonment. These arguments are on the whole simplistic and reductive. While his fraught time at school drove something alleged between Jacob and his mother during his teenage years, his feelings toward her now are of admiration. My mom put food on the table for her kids and was willing to do whatever it took to do it, he says. She should be made to feel shame for I'm proud of Jacob. I'm really proud of him. And we have to stop these prejudicial, judgmental arguments and these prejudicial judgmental surveys have got to go. You have psychological issues of parental abandonment of kids, of parents, of non-sex workers. Where's the outrage about that? But you only have the sex work? Get the fuck out of here with that. Miss me with the bullshit. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, sometimes in families, there are situations that um, are sensitive and it makes people think and live, you know, separate from each other. So wedges do suck. Uh, in this case, the wedge sucked. Um, you know, some, I just, I'm just very sensitive to that because I'm not judging his mom harshly at all. What I said earlier, I was just very sensitive about, hey, you know, being careful. But I understand, hey, you know, drastic measures, her situation. We don't know her early life and all that. And if we did, we shouldn't judge harshly the way. So. I'm just doing my best to be as sensitive as I 100% can about this, you know. It's an attitude list after a psychotherapist and social worker with 15 years of experience working with sex workers and their families, often encounters through her work. Unfortunately, ha ultimately, having a parent experiences stigma and survives that and is dedicated to your survival, regardless of the circumstances that they need to navigate in order to support you monetarily, communicates a sense of commitment to a child's well-being, she says. She's right. Um... Also overlooked are the ways in which the flexibility that sex work allows for also overlooked are the ways in which the flexibility that sex work allows for often entailing fewer working hours for better pay can facilitate a better parent-child relationship. Many sex working parents I've known have been involved in that work as a way to parent their child better, says Afton. Being a sex worker has meant they are able to to provide more options and experience a greater sense of independence, and therefore have more attention available to their children. She's spot on. This was the experience of Nina Hernandez, a 35-year-old from New York, whose mother worked as an escort when Hernandez was a child. I had nice clothes, toys, and we finally moved to a better neighborhood, she says. The most beneficial part of her working short hours with such good pay is that I saw her more often. She seemed happy and bubbly because we had no financial worries. 
Of course, this isn't to flatten experienced individuals who have sex worker parents or to say that they are less likely to undergo turbulent upbringings. In fact, the criminalization of sex workers, structural inequality, and the stigma they endure will likely have at least some impact on their families. Brandon, who grew up with a single mother who made a living off sex work, had a tumultuous childhood. Sex work played a, a pivotal role growing up and often sat in the next room and made to wait outside in the car while it happened, recalls Brandon, who asked his full name not to be used as it was the first time he had shared a story publicly. She called seeing a client mama time. It was something I came to understand. We were more like best friends than mother and son. Things weren't perfect, but I never once doubted that she loved me. I'm going to be a lot kinder to um, Jacob's mom um, and all the moms here. This is important to me because I remember um, being able to understand these kinds of things in my little 20s when I started learning consciously about the sex work world and so I came across subjects such as this one I'm talking about and it's not really talked about but it needs to happen um, as long as the children are safe no kidnapping no violence nothing that's just the most thing I care about well, of course I care about the mother you know the parents being safe and the clients being safe. While Brandon felt safe most of the time, he recalls an incident in which one of his mother's clients became aggressive and they ended up having to lock themselves in the bathroom of the hotel they were staying at until he calmed down and left. Her sex work will also eventually become bound up with addiction. We didn't have a lot of money. She spent a lot of it on drugs, recalls Brandon. Now, let me stop right there because a lot of people will go see Sex workers or substance users, they, they're addicted to alcohol and drugs. Okay, so why is alcohol and drugs a sensitivity only for sex workers, but you have most of the people who are hooked on drugs and alcohol are not sex workers, but there's no equal outrage about that. So my thing is, let's attack the drug addiction issue, the alcohol addiction issue, and not make it let's harass sex workers and uh, bash sex workers and don't do that with people's lives don't politicize people's lives don't politicize sensitive experiences in people's lives don't do that everybody has diverse experiences with sex work just because his mother may have had that situation majority of sex workers that's not their situation okay so let's not use sensitive scenarios to feed our discriminatory conduct. Let's not feed our discriminatory attitudes. Let's address the issue. The issue is people are not being loved. And they're made to not be loved so much that they feel they have to turn to a substance, right? There's, there's, they don't feel loved when it comes to a, a myriad of factors. Let's address those factors instead of sex shaming, instead of slut shaming, instead of rape 
culture promoting instead of preaching. Let's destroy all that, all right? I think the way she approached sex work meant she wasn't meeting quality clients because she wasn't able to take care of herself with the things. He makes an excellent point. Quality clients only is how every sex worker should be living their lives. And all clients should be quality. That's how clients should be living their lives too. Quality clients, quality sex workers. We're not talking about um, auction blocking people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about decent character. Be a decent person. You know, majority of clients of sex workers, decent people. All clients should be that. Majority of people in sex workers, you know, majority of sex workers are decent people. All sex workers should be decent people. Everybody in the sex work industry, they all should be decent people. Whether they're in leadership, whether they're following, whether they have clients, whether they're sex workers themselves, whether they're on screen, off screen, online, offline, in person, virtual, whatever the case may be, everybody in the sex work industry world should be quality. Here we go. And we should be helping people self-care when they sex work or do other types of work, okay? I grew up with very low trust in the police and those people that were supposed to protect the community because everything we did involved drugs or sex work, things that are illegal. Looking back, she had been able to go through sex work legally to see people who are willing to pay a good price, people who are vetted. Essentially, it would have changed our quality of life. He is self-explanatory in his wisdom. And I subscribe to his wisdom. Afton similarly points to the fact that the criminalization of their profession means that sex workers are often scared to seek out the help they need, whether that be for drug addiction or family support. Giving sex workers that safety will require the decriminalization of sex work instead of the continued criminalization of related activities like curb crawling in the UK. Afton has got wise points. Decriminalization would mean that sex working parents would not have fear of seeking help from the systems that are supposed to be supporting families, explains Afton. They would be able to speak openly with social workers or other people to help them to navigate dangerous situations. For Hernandez, her life was turned upside down when her mother was shamed by her family to quit in sex work. We had to move in with my grandmother. My mom had to work odd jobs. There was no time for my mom to study for a GD, GED diploma. Now that she wasn't escorting, had children to care for, no support even from her mother. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I truly believe that there. I truly believe that had there. I truly believe that had there was acceptance of sex work, she would have accomplished her goals of being a nurse and would have given us a better life. The one profession that is most looked down on by society sex work is the one that would have saved us from poverty and helped fund my mother's higher education, says Hernandez. Say Hernandez, who went on who went on to work as an exotic, who went on to work as an exotic dancer, advocates for sex workers' rights. Sex worker rights. Sex workers are just normal human beings making a living, not criminals in need of punishment. I appreciate Hernandez so much her words are the words of my heart. Yes. Jacob and Hernandez agree that having a sex worker parent positively impacted their relationship with their mothers. I think without her doing it, there would have been a certain level of respect for her that wouldn't have attained otherwise, says Jacob Hernandez. When we learned about her mother's time as an escort after she became a sex worker herself, it brought them closer. I suddenly felt understood once we 
even went shopping together to pick out outfits for my job. This makes me happy. Despite what was often a painful and chaotic childhood, Brandon believes that having sex with her parent has made him more of a compassionate person. It was never a question to not accept someone for being different. He was like, that's who they are, he says. I feel like I learned that early on because my mom was a sex worker. I want to say this, regardless of our parents' professions, if we're being treated well, you know, then we should respect each other regardless of our professions. And I say, what's the best way for me to say? I'm trying to say it as best I can. Here's how I'll say it. I think that regardless of people's professions, parent, child, friend, you know, colleague, whatever the case may be, we should all be respectful of each other. We should all be healthy family members. We all should be healthy friends, healthy colleagues, whatever roles we're supposed to play professionally, personally, let's be healthy in all of them. That's what I'm saying. All right. I am going to keep going. I must keep going. I might go more than two hours. I just, I gotta talk. Meet the working moms of porn. This is Vice.com. Two moms who work as adult actors describe their struggle of balancing porn and family. Why they entered the industry in the first place and how they feel about being cool moms by Marissa Miller. With all the choreo get with all the choreographed blowjobs and cheesy soft jazz, we often forget porn stars go home to their families after shoots. Women encompass a huge chunk of the porn industry, so naturally many of these women spend their time balancing their careers and raising kids. While MILF is one of our top categories, when you picture your favorite star, you aren't fantasizing about her changing diapers or packing lunch for school, a Pornhub marketer told me. There are very few advantages to girls exposing their families and private lives to the public, but things seem to be changing in recent years with stars like Lisa Ann becoming mainstream. For many mothers in porn, coming clean about their personal lives can have benefits. One actress, Mary Williams, even told me her eldest son's friends wanted to come over once they discovered she worked as a professional. No. Related, Belle Donna Part 1. Though this role may feel glamorous, there are serious ramifications for the star's children. What we know is that kids who grow up in overly permissive households develop a more restrictive outlook on sex, said Dr. Lori Petito, a psychologist, sex therapist, radio show host. It could affect their friendships because of their responses from peers. It could have repercussions everywhere, depending on the constitution of the child. You're imparting values. How are they supposed to make sense of what a healthy relationship looks like when on marriage? To learn uh, how are they supposed to make sense of what a healthy relationship a healthy relationship looks like let alone in marriage. I'm trying my best to slow down and not read so fast. I have plenty of time. I'm working on it. By tomorrow, I'm having a down pack, okay? To learn more about the working moms, moms of porn, I spoke to two professional mills about their careers as impacts on their family lives, what they buy their kids, and pros and cons of being cool moms. 
Nina L, a self-described pretty blonde with big boobs. Nina L didn't always use her looks to support her family. She once worked as a dental hygienist. Well, she learned how much porn stars made, she figured it was too lucrative to pass up. To her, starring in porn meant paying for her five-year-old daughter's singing and ballet lessons and buying her 11-year-old son Nike sneakers. At the start of her porn career, she kept the fact that she had a family a secret to protect her kids from scrutiny, but eventually she, she decided to go public to correct some misconceptions about being a mom in the industry. You can be a better mother because you're more open, she said. Things don't shock me as much. I've seen this, done that, so when my kids do it, I'll be like, meh. Elle is still keeping her occupation secret from her kids, however. Her son has started to dabble on social media, and she worries he will find her account when she, where she interacts with her fans. I blocked him and told him he can't have an account till he's 16 or 17, she said. He was like, God, Mom, you're being weird. Elle anticipates the day her children will discover her job. What will that day entail? Will she prefer her kids see her perform a blowjob or get gangbanged? Basically, she said, Elena Evans. Elena Evans has worked as a porn star for more than 15 years. But when she's not on set, she prefers to bake cookies and play video games with her kids. In her eyes, her family embodies straight edge values. Straight she has motivated her 21-year-old son. Straight she says motivated her 21-year-old son to enjoy to join the Marines straight edge values. I like to believe it's my parenting that led him to be what he is, she said. We're careful about the movies and porn magazines we keep around. We're model parents because of the stigma. She was wary of that stigma from the start. Her ex-husband works as a cop, and when the daughter of a supervisor appeared in Playboy as a joke, he and his co-workers decorated their boss's office with friends of his new daughter. Oh my god. Wow. Wow. Whew. This guy, this, oh, oh, I'm speechless. Okay, I'm just, wow. Um, He took it fine, Evan said, but I remember thinking, this is what I'm in for, dealing with people wanting to put my corn career in my family members' faces. She was sort of right. By the time her son was 12 years old, people started recognizing Elena during the trip to the grocery store. She had to come clean to her son about what mommy did for a living. I had to start explaining why they know who I am. It's the most crucial thing, she said. My dad was in the military and a hippie lover man. And my mom had lots of male suitors. So sexuality, so sexuality was something in my life that's not frowned upon. I know there's something like that in my son. Update one six. This article originally contained a section on the third actress in her family after the artist's publication. She disputed several quotes attributed to her as a courtesy to the actress who had to make that section. I mean, I could understand the dad not wanting his daughter to go through pure hell, but I don't, well, I wouldn't decorate office of my new daughter. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, no, because I helped make you. Even if I didn't help make you, I was a sperm donor or foster parent or doctor parent, I, I just still couldn't. That that's just me. I appreciate the support, but that's not the way I would show support. We both believe in supporting, you know, kids, you know, especially for ours. But yeah, I wouldn't think about that. And remember, we all have to be age appropriate. Um, and we all, if we know that somebody's parent is doing certain things. 
we should not um, create people being ostracized. We should not create social rejection. We should be careful how we point out people. We should be like, okay, they still have families. Let's be respectful, right? Um, and I like that sexuality is not frowned upon. I am concerned about the restrictive outlooks on sex. We should, you know, we should want boundaries. Yes, restrictive outlook on sex. No, I think in non-overly permissive households, I've seen people develop more restrictive outlooks on sex too. It happens to some people. You have some overly permissive households who develop a more liberal, progressive outlook on sex. You have conservative households and kids develop, you know, a more conservative outlook. Some have a way more liberal. We're all different. We're all different. Um, I'm glad I'm talking about this. This needed to be talked about. I, I'm not, I don't keep this kind of stuff quiet. I, I refuse to. Because um, we should all just honor people, you know, people, we should just be loving uh, human beings. Okay. Making sure that I keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I want to get out as much as I need to. I'm checking to see if there's any more articles I need to be looking at. Well, all right, let me just keep this show on the road. Hey, sign up for me. So, sex workers gain foothold in Congress by Chris Mills, Roger Go. May 30, 2021, 511 PM, EDT. Okay. Sex workers have gained. I'm sorry if you hear the music. I will definitely work to stop that, and I'm glad I just did. This is Sex Workers Gained Foothold in Congress by Chris Mills Rodrigo, May 30, 2021, 511 PM, EDT. Sex workers have gained the backing of a small group of Democratic lawmakers after largely being shut out of the policymaking process. The turning point was the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, FOSTA, also referred to as SESTA, after the original Senate bill, which was framed as a way to punish online platforms. Facilitating trafficking and abuse but was broadly opposed by the very industry it was meant to help. Despite the best efforts of sex workers to dissuade lawmakers, the bill passed through both chambers easily was signed by Donald Trump in 2018. It was not just that their perspective was discarded, their perspective wasn't even heard. They were considered almost untouchable in the Capitol, said Representative Roe Connor, Democrat from California was pushing a bill designed to study the effects of FOSTA, SESTA. Sex worker at the organization of congressional staffers who spoke with the Hill said that stigma was one of the primary factors keeping those voices sidelined. 
no politician wants to or until very recently wanted to be seen as facilitating sex work or encouraging sex work, said Mike Stavel, director of public affairs for the Free Speech Coalition Adult Ministry Trade Association. Connor told the Hill that his colleagues didn't even want to take meetings because of the possible images or pictures with sex workers that could have been taken. Stigma also hurts organizations funding because consumers of pornography are embarrassed to publicly back them, says sex worker and writer Kathy Rice over its pause. I don't give a fuck what society says about the people I'm with because I am around sound-minded folks. I'm not discriminating against people with mental illness. That's not what I mean when I say sound-minded. I'm talking about positive people. If you can have mental illness, you can be a positive person, right? You can be a positive person without mental illness. Either way, you have positive people of all walks of life, all uh, genres of life, so to speak. So, constituents who wouldn't like me posing pictures of sex workers, that's their problem, not mine. That would get my ass. Look, I am about loving people. I don't mind being around societal, untouchable, societal, undesirables because it's about empathy, compassion, compassionate love, empathetic love. I'm not embarrassed to be around sex workers. Would I have sex workers as my friends and best friends and close friends and true friends? Yes. Would I have them as lovers? Yes. If my if I had children and they want to enter into sex work, I would give them my permission as long as it has a as long as it has an ethical porn framework, as long as it has a feminist porn framework, an independent porn framework. Uh, alternative porn framework, a positive porn framework, as long as they have those things in place, including adult sex worker industry rights that I've talked about in the ethical porn series, as long as they have those things in place, and as long as um, there's no gorilla pimping, no drug pimping, no underage pimping, no violent clients, uh, no violent Performers, you know, camera and crew and uh, business was all like just ethical and how they approach sex work and they value sex workers' rights. They value equal rights, civil rights, political rights, social rights, cultural rights, environmental rights, racial rights. When I say racial rights, I'm talking about racism, I'm talking about your rights, whether you're black, white, etc., your um, economic rights, right? Your right to health. Uh, cultural rights, all those, all the human rights of sex work are honored and I would let my kids uh, do the industries, do sex work industry. I wouldn't want them to do mainstream industry, mainstream porn, mainstream sex work in terms of the mainstream porn kind of world because it doesn't have uh, human rights um, sensitivity. It doesn't it has human rights abuses, so I wouldn't want that, but if it's ethical and everything else, then and that means no human rights abuses, I'll be all for it. In fact, I would help my kids become sex worker entrepreneurs, you know. I would make sure that if they still want to perform, cool, but I also want you to be, you know, have your own companies. 
So I'll help them be sad in that way. That's just me. So let me keep going. Uh, tight funds have left sex worker organizations with minimal capacity to put pressure on lawmakers on the ground in Washington. There are no lobbyists. There's more people who are engaging in federal legislation, but we're all still kind of working on spit and duct tape here. Kat Diadamo, a sex worker rights activist and partner at Reframe Health and Justice told The Hill. Some organizations have narrowed their efforts to sympathetic lawmakers to make up for the lack of resources. Mary Moody, a founding board member at the Adult Industry Laborers and Artists Association, met with Senator Elizabeth Warren's, she's a Democrat from Massachusetts, office earlier this year. The Massachusetts lawmaker is the Senate lead of the FOSTA STA study bill, has met with sex worker groups in the past. We were able to discuss issues impacting workers on legislation around Section 230, like SESTA, FOSTA can cause harm, and ask them to commit to keeping an open line of communication on future issues. Moody told The Hill, referring to the 1996 law that protects online platforms from liability for content posted by third parties. Senator Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon, also became more aware of sex worker concerns during the debate over FOSTA, SESTA, and has kept in touch with organizations since. Elizabeth Warren and Ron Wyden are awesome. Moody, she's awesome. She is awesome. And Connor is awesome. And Mike Stabble is awesome too. Sex workers sit at the intersection of a lot of important but exceedingly difficult issues surrounding law enforcement, gender, race, and speech, he said in the statement. When Congress makes policy that affects any of those concerns, it will now practice the sex worker community has been particularly vocal on internet regulation proposals, especially as many of them have had to rely on online revenue streams during the pandemic. FOSTA, SESTA has carved out an exception in Section 230, a mechanism that several recent bills have borrowed. Advocates did hours of outreach last year to try to slow down the Earn It Act, a bill championed by Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, and Richard Blumenthal a Democrat from Connecticut that would make exceptions under Section 230 protections for child sexual abuse material. Um, obviously, sex work means adults only. So if it's not an adult, we should be hard on it at the same time. We should not confuse human rights abuses with, see, that's why we got to get rid of the entire section kid. No. Get rid of all the human rights abuses and that's it. Concerned that the threat of lawsuits would dissuade platforms from posting any adult content at all, they work to get lawmakers and experts to address the root causes of exploitation, such as insufficient health services and excessive criminalization according to Diadamo. Sex workers also organized early this year against Senator Mark Warner's, he's, you know, Democrat from Virginia, Safe Tech Act over fear that it would lead platforms to censor their content. Adult industry organizations are also active at the state level and have had some recent successes. Maxine Dugan, a working prostitute, launched a sex workers and erotic service providers legal educational research project in California in 2008 after a San Francisco ballot measure to decriminalize prostitution failed. The group has since successfully blocked multiple ballot initiatives in California and push for reforms in other states such as Alaska, which passed a measure in 2017 that gives immunity to sex workers who report 
dangerous crimes for being cited for prostitution. One of the roadblocks for sex workers, both in the states and at the federal level, has been a collection organization, including the anti-trafficking group Exodus Cry and the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, NCOSE, formerly known as Morality Media. These groups, according to sex workers who spoke with the Hill, overstate the risk of trafficking and weaponize their sentiment to demonize the drug porn industry. Those groups, horrible. Um, those groups are horrible, but Maxine Dugan and the group she started, I appreciate all their successes. I'm glad that they are of courage. They are bold and unapologetic. I appreciate them. Um, their approach would have been very successful has been to oversimplify and exaggerate the extent of the problem, added Jeremy Malcolm, executive director of the Postasia Foundation, which seeks to take an evidence of rape, which seeks to take an evidence-based approach to reducing the harm to sex trafficking. The groups have also been successful at pulling in funding. The Justice Department gave NCOSE a $240,000 grant in 2020 to research the sex trade influencing Congress. For example, Layla Micklewaite, the founder of the Exodus Cry back campaign to shut down Pornhub, Trafficking Hub appeared before the House Financial Services Committee earlier this year. Senators Jeffrey Merkley, Democrat from Oregon, and Ben Sass, Republican from Nebraska, cited reporting relying heavily on the campaign when introducing the Stop Internet Sexual Exploitation Act which sex workers have said could be the death knell of the industry. Hmm. We don't want that to happen. Counteracting these forces and stabilizing adult industry's foothold in Congress will take more time and work from sex workers, the organizations in the small cater of lawmakers in their corner. Connor told the Hill that one step in the process is passing the FOSTA SESTA study bill, which those lawmakers are working to persuade key colleagues on before, before reintroducing this before reintroducing this to Congress. We need to study the bill, he said, but the issue is about overcoming the stigma. It's about getting people who are on the margins of society a voice. The legislation is just a, is just a vehicle towards trying to accomplish that. Agreed. You know how you know what my views are. Um, wow, I'm proud of myself for doing all this. We'll keep going. All right. I may have read this article before, but it's worth repeating, so I'm going to say it again anyway. Common myths about sex work debunked by sex workers. This is Vice.com. This is sex work is one of the most maligned forms of labor and often subject to misrepresentation and speculation. We asked two leading sex worker actors to break down some of the most common misconceptions by Frankie Murray. November 9, 1039A. Prostitutes. Do they revolt you? In Revolting Prostitutes, a new book published by Verso, sex worker activist Juno Mack and Molly Smith asks why sex work elicits such polarized views. 
Sex work is the vault in which society stores some of its keenest fears and anxieties, right? Mac and Smith. They argue that many non-sex worker families whose lives will not be materially affected by any legal changes to the industry intrinsically view prostitution itself as an abomination. Mack and Smith's take is rooted in pragmatism. People, mainly women, sell sex. How can we keep them safe? Both writers are deeply involved in sex worker activism and their book is a call for revolt. Broadly asks Mack and Smith to unpack some of the more enduring myths about sex work. Myth, prostitution is the most degrading job in the world. It shouldn't even be classed as work. It's no coincidence that it is work associated with women, which is often deemed not to be work and therefore underpaid and undervalued. Like caring and domestic work, prostitution is a form of quote unquote, women's work, which involves us asking for money for something which under capitalism and patriarchy, we're expected to give for free. Work is bad. Capitalism means we sell our labor in ways that often feel exploitative or alienating. More and more of us are doing precarious, low-paid work where we answer to a boss and have scant access to labor rights. For many, prostitution may well be quote-unquote bad work, but if we put quote-unquote bad work outside of the category of work, it prevents workers from struggling to improve their conditions. Myth. The sex industry is full of go-getting entrepreneurs splashing around in baths of champagne with clients. Much contemporary sex work marketing takes the form of websites. These adverts are marketing tools, meaning that there's no strict adherence to fact, and sex workers are free to embellish their profile and persona however they like, however they like in order to make money. As a marketing strategy, Many sex workers aim to appeal to the wealthiest possible client demographic. This invariably distorts the apparent class identity of sex workers as a group, with many claiming to be high class, elite, or upscale. When the artifice of sex industry branding is taken at face value, sex work advocates are broadly dismissed as vapid, frivolous, rich girls. The reality sex workers experience are omitted from their advertising. No one's going to get interest from clients if they honestly detail things like single parenthood, chronic illness, precarious social housing, and insecure immigration status. Myth. Sex workers are fighting for the right of men to buy sex. The sex industry should survive because it's intrinsically good. The merits of commercial sex from a buyer's perspective have no relevance to the human rights of sex workers. Often discussions of whether men have a need or right to buy sex actively derail the more urgent discussions of the needs of sex workers for safety and survival. It's possible to hold the view that the sex industry is ultimately harmful and still set this aside in favor of policies that promote harm reduction and the self-determination of sex workers. Myth, the police keep sex workers safe. Anti-prostitution feminists own in on abuse by so-called pimps and punters while overlooking or tactically supporting similar abuses by police, landlords, and immigration officers. In the US where sex work is fully criminalized in many states, sex workers report sexual harassment, verbal abuse, and rape when being arrested by the police. Sex worker arrests in the U.S. are deeply racist. Between 2012 and 2015, 
85% of those arrested for loitering for prostitution in New York were Black or Latina. In the UK, those targeted by police during brothel raids, R-A-I-D-S, described being dragged onto the street in their underwear. Make no mistake, these interactions are violent. Myth, the Nordic model which criminalizes clients is feminist. Under the so-called Nordic model, paying for sex is illegal, but selling sex is not. Some people claim the legislation is feminist because sex workers themselves are decriminalized. However, in every country with these laws, some type of sex worker criminalization has been retained. And nor in Norway, sex workers are still being fined years after women. Whoa. In, New in Norway, sex workers are still being fined years after they'd supposedly been decriminalized. Women of color, and that's what the writer has written. I'm just saying what was written. Women of color are disproportionately targeted. In Ireland, when paying for sex became illegal in 2017, the fines for brothel keeping doubled. Technically, a brothel is any premises in which more than two people sell sex. When we think about police violence enabled by legislation which criminalizes any part of prostitution, not only as state violence, but also as male violence against women, the criminalization of prostitution comes into focus in a new way. As a key driver of male violence against women, there's nothing feminist about this. I appreciate him. I appreciate the writers is debunking all these myths and I'm glad that, um, you know, sex workers are debunking these myths too. I do, I do think that the sex industry is intrinsically good, but I don't believe it from a myth standpoint. I believe it from a, it can be intrinsically good if there are no human rights abuses. No human rights abuses, therefore the sex industry is intrinsically good. Okay, let me put it this way. Fighting human rights abuses is a major way to keep the sex industry intrinsically good. But, you know, I appreciate everything you said, everything you said, I'm supposed to order. I tend to simplify things because some people write things appropriately. I don't need to say much, right? Okay. It was a wonderful adventure. What it's like when you retire from sex work. We spoke to former sex workers about their careers after sex work from a professional dominatrix turned chef's little bitch to the escorts who became leading activists and academics by Siren Kale. March 16, 1719, 19 a.m. After a decade as a professional dom dominatrix, Mistress Suze knew it was time to get out of the game. I got old, she says bluntly. Also, regular clients didn't mind having a 40 year old dominatrix. The physical exertion got to be too much. My body was too old for it. Mistress Suze, now age 50, remembers I developed a bad case of tennis elbow from wielding a whip for 10 years, then a torn rotator cuff. At a critical juncture in her life, and uncertain how to proceed, Mr. Seuss did what many a recent divorcee or failed novelist has done before her. She checked into a Buddhist monastery. Going to a monastery, going to a monastery, I'm sorry, monastery. She checked into a Buddhist monastery. Going to a monastery was a dream of mine, Mr. Seuss explains. Two months later, she was running the monastery kitchen. The professional sadist has found, a new, found her new calling as professional cook. And Mr. Seuss had a talent that made her an asset to any kitchen one to employ her, namely her advanced rope work skills. 
When asked to trust a turkey breast by her head chef, Mr. Seuss wowed him with how quickly she caught on. What her new co-workers didn't know was that Mr. Seuss was unusually adept for a reason. In fact, she used the same technique on innumerable male submissives throughout her previous career. Not all sex workers are able to put a decade of training to such Not all sex workers are able to put a decade of training to such spectacular use, but all pick up transferable skills that they can use in their future careers. Few sex workers stay in the industry for their whole working lives, and they leave for diverse reasons, often returning for short or extended stints from time to time. People leave for lots of reasons, explains Raven Bowen of the University of York. Prior to entering academia, Bowen spent decades working as an advocate with sex workers in Western Canada. If people get pregnant or fall in love, they often leave right away. Middle-class sex workers might be able to make a plan when they transition out, dabble in some square jobs, and gradually leave. Another common motivator is a child approaching teenagers. Sex workers who aren't out to their families become fearful that their kids and their cruel classmates will find out what industry mom really is in. Rarest of all the clients who live out the pretty woman fantasy and settle down with a client, although Bowen tells me this isn't unheard of, clients have been central to many sex workers' experience of sexiting, leaving sex work, Bowen explains. This may refer this, they may refer them to resources or even sometimes invest in their transition. Many sex workers view the industry as a short-term stepping stone to a regular or straight career and aim to retire from sex work when they've amassed enough money to fund tuition or open a small business, for example. Some women work for one or two years and they know they don't want to continue after that, so they'll save all their money, explains Laura Watson of the English Collective of Prostitutes. English Collective of Prostitutes. So, let me see. I asked, so that they keep their expenses low because they're just saving money to do what they want to do afterwards, basically. Ask what careers they transition into. A lot go into beauty, opening nail bars, that sort of thing, Watson responds. The crucial thing is they're working in a country where prostitution is illegal is that they don't have criminal records. With a criminal record, leaving the industry can become impossible. They worked with a sex worker who was in prostitution temporarily to cover the cost of having a disabled daughter, Watson recalls. The money was for specific items for a short period of time. Then she got a criminal record, was basically unable to leave prostitution. That's why decriminalization is so important. I have a Roth RIA, a special retirement account, and a client of mine is going to help me invest a shit ton of my savings for the future, writes West Coast-based sex worker Shay over email. She said crap, I said shit. I hope to be a millionaire by 45, she adds, although she acknowledges this is unlikely. Shay charges $400 an hour and $2,000 for overnights and has a clear strategy for, for exiting sex work. And as any freelancer knows, having a good accounting is key. Bookkeeping is a must. I'm terrible at it. Also, there can be no, also, there can be no trail. I'm also terrible at that. Tax law is complicated. I know an accountant that specifically works with sex workers. She's an angel. Just like anyone, sex workers want to save for retirement, a home, or a career pivot, explains Mary Thomason, 
a 37-year-old financial planner living in LA who specializes in helping sex workers manage their fine manage their finances. Awesome. As sex workers most as sex workers most marketable asset um, as sex workers is most marketable asset is often their body. And that's pretty much a depreciating asset. It's important to look at earnings as front-loaded in their career in sex work. If they choose to leave the industry or retire, planning is huge. It's critical to have a budget and adequate reserves. Keep a cool head while giving lots of head, Thomason says. And a financially prudent sex worker might expect to retire by 35 or 40. Prudent means discernment, cleverness. If you want to retire by 40, though, you've got to look after your physical and mental health. Shay has a secondary strategy for ensuring her professional success in a competitive and oftentimes physically arduous industry. An aspect of retirement is often overlooked as one's health, Shay comments. In my nine months as an escort, I've seen absolutely beautiful, brilliant women throw their lives away because they couldn't handle the money. The answer, a key part of saving for retirement, she explains, is taking care of one's health. That includes overdue dental work massages, cold food shit, and bark. Bar- Bear classes. Also, go easy on the booze. This is an important part of my strategy for retirement and has allowed me to get through the bad times of sex work. Many sex workers transition out of sex work into a related field, like academia or sex work advocacy. I'm in the middle of my second degree. I have the offer of a PhD on the table, says sex worker and advocate Laura Lee, who has taken the Norwich Irish government to court over a new law that criminalizes men to pay for sex. My ethical strategy is to do that. And lecture on sex work and trafficking. I have a few years to go, but that's the plan. Lee confirms that many of her sex worker peers have a similar exit strategy. Some have a very structured approach in terms of financial goal they want to achieve, such as paying off their mortgage or putting their kids through university. Whether or not you go public with your former career can hugely impact your future options. Whether or not you go public with your former career can hugely impact your future options. Being self-employed helps, as Christy Lynn Baluni found. My five years in the sex industry were really a positive time for me, Baluni said, but I was ready for that transition out of the industry around my 30th birthday. I need to have my body be only mine for a period of time. Now, Baluni uses her sex work past as a unique marketing point. She runs a business called Sexy Grammar, which provides editing and writing services. I built my whole writing and teaching approach around what I've learned from the sex industry, Looney says. Like all the sex workers I spoke to for this piece, she said that her time in the industry has taught her vital transferable skills. Everything I had learned about how to teach people about sex to be non-judgmental, to give people permission to give people permission to be who they are. Let me stop. Slow down, Antonio. Everything I had learned about how to teach people about sex, to be non-judgmental, to give people permission to be who they are, to meet people where they are and be there. These are all things that being a prostitute taught me, Bluni explains. Being a sex educator taught me incredibly valuable tools for helping people through the creative process. I'm glad that prostitution had good benefits to her. And what she is saying, I already went out and I'm excited about that. Not all sex workers have such a happy or neat ending. For others, exiting the industry is a messy, protracted affair. Let me, I'm trying to slow down. Not all sex workers have such a happy or neat ending. For others, exiting the industry is a messy, protracted affair. 
shaking off the stigma that still exists around sex work is difficult. And transitioning to a new job becomes even more of a struggle if, like many women, you find yourself outed as a former sex worker. I've spoken to sex workers who've been squeezed out of employment and they have to go into more dangerous, more underground ways of working balances. When people find out they used to be involved in the industry, they're not able to move on from that stigma and be embraced from all the experiences they've had in the sex industry. Instead, they're seen as social deviants and not trustworthy, even though they're qualified to do the jobs they're holding at that time. Society's terrible. Society is terrible, terrible, terrible. And with exiting a job in any profession, former sex workers look back at their time in the industry with mixed emotions. For some, it was a means to an end, a debt-free college degree, a loan on a house, or a way to pay the bills when times were tough and options limited. For others, it was a positive experience, but for one day outgrew as they got older. With many former sex workers, Luna continues to be frustrated by how society tends to view the sex industry. People expect sex work to be something to escape, she comments. But for me, it was a wonderful adventure in my youth that really shaped who I am, that I had to embrace that grew up more. I'm frustrated by how society views the sex industry myself. Like for Looney, Mr. Seuss looks back at her time as a dominic dominatrix fondling, although there have been some adjustments. As a dominatrix, I was always in charge of memories. Now, Chef is always in charge, and I'm his little bitch. She said that's from not being misogynistic. And despite the role reversal, Mr. Seuss is adjusting well. I'm enjoying the switch in personal relationships, she says. I'm fully exhilarated by the pleasures of serving. For now, I'm loving every minute being chef's little bitch. But like all dominant submissive relationships, it only lasts as long as the submissive says it does. But when I eventually move on, I'll go with the title sous chef in the portfolio of professional dishes. It's this is why society should be treating people well. This is why society should be treating people. Can't read every article about sex work, but you know. I think I'm I'm getting tired, so I'm going to stop now.